0: Hi everyone, this is Ashley and welcome to Block, Stock and Barrel, a podcast about blockchains and a whole lot more. I hope that everyone has been safe and well so far, and I guess trying their best to stay sane. This week we talk blockchain for social impact. On the show with me, I have Mehran Haidari, who is currently designing and building blockchain software for global issues as a blockchain product engineer at the UNICEF Office of Innovation. Marin started his blockchain career at Deloitte, where he was scaling their technology delivery team while working closely with clients to understand how blockchain can be used in various industries. His previous experience includes TD Bank, Hydro One, and advanced micro devices. In this episode, we talk a little bit more about how blockchain is being used to solve some of the world's most pressing social problems at UNICEF, the need to bring the user back to the center of design, and increasing inclusivity within the blockchain and crypto space. So, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Miran Haidari. Hi, Miran. Thank you for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, of course. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. So, let's uh, start with a a few questions about yourself. So Mm -hmm. how did you get involved in blockchain? Like what's your story there? So
1: I graduated school around 2015. And around that time, Bitcoin was just starting to, you know, make the mainstream media. Uh, And so I had noticed it and I guess around that time it was being uh, vetted as a currency that could be used on the internet. And so I was like, "Oh, this is cool," but you know, in, in fourth year when you're trying to finish school, uh, things are a little bit crazy. So um, I didn't dive in as deep as I should have because if I did, I probably would have been <laughs> a little bit more wealthier. Um, yeah. And so I, I did engineering from undergrad, and you know, I did a couple of internships that were very technical, and then I think at that point I realized that. I want to try the business side of things. And so my first job after school was actually at a consulting firm called Deloitte. And uh, Deloitte was working with a lot of financial services companies um, in Canada. And so when I did join there, my first few projects were with large banks. And every day when I'd go to work, uh, I would walk by this ATM. And it was strange to have an ATM in the middle of your office, but the ATM was actually a Bitcoin ATM. And so I think after a few months, I, you know, walked over to the ATM I'm like, okay, this is a Bitcoin ATM. I have no idea what this means. And so luckily on the screen, you know, it walks you through how you can exchange um, a $20 bill for some Bitcoin. And so downloaded the apps on my phone, figured out what I needed to do, uh, and eventually was able to get some Bitcoin in return for uh, the $20 bill that I gave the ATM. And so, you know, that I guess, started my journey into the space. Uh, Later on, I realized that there was actually a team within my consulting practice that only did blockchain projects. And so um, I guess, you know, I I went to them, I pitched my skills. I'm like, hey, I can do business. I can code a little bit. I think I'd be a great asset on your team. And so eventually they pulled me in. And so for two or three years, while I worked in consulting, uh, a lot of the work that I did was with enterprise clients, looking to understand how blockchain can be used uh, with, you know, their existing set of services, or or how they can improve, um, how they interact with clients and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, anything from loyalty points on blockchain to diamonds on the blockchain, I got to see a, a wide spectrum of blockchain use cases, but purely from an enterprise perspective. And so then. Uh, I think naturally you start thinking like, okay, I see one side of things. I wonder how the other side is. Um, And so I was looking for opportunities that were, uh, I guess, companies that were focusing on using the public blockchain uh, infrastructures that were in place like Bitcoin, like Ethereum. And so I saw that UNICEF was actually quite active in this space. And so, you know, made my pitch again. I'm like, hey, I'm good at consulting and business and I can also code. Uh, code as well. And so, yeah, that's what brought me to UNICEF. And for the past year and a half or so, uh, I've been doing um, blockchain projects at UNICEF. So that's kind of my journey into the space.
0: Very cool. So, I mean, wait, why was there a Bitcoin ATM in the middle of the Deloitte office? Was it like an initiative by the blockchain team or... I I don't know.
1: I think so. So, I think around 2015 or 2016, there was a global hackathon at Deloitte. And one of the ideas that actually ended up getting um, a prize was uh, there was a team that proposed applying some kind of blockchain solution to the accounting industry. And so, Deloitte does have a big line of business around consulting, but then they also have a big line of business around. Uh, accounting and so that idea did get some funding and it was still like early days in blockchain and so that team was just looking for ways to make it more intuitive and easier for people to understand and i think the atm was there um as a gateway almost for people to understand how crypto works and and you know it worked for me because when i saw it and i interacted i was like this is a very maybe not super user-friendly but it was intuitive enough for me to kind of catch my interest, I guess.
0: What would you say would be like the biggest differences between um, working with enterprise blockchain and working with blockchain for social impact?
1: So I think when you think of uh, the perspective that enterprises take uh, when interacting with any blockchain solution is that they understand that this platform can be used to store data in a way that's secure, private, and scalable. And so a lot of enterprises think like, okay, I can share data with my competitors, with my clients in a way that doesn't hurt my business, right? So that's kind of where their head is at. And so ultimately they want to collaborate with people that they normally don't want to collaborate with uh, through a blockchain platform so that the services that they already deliver can be enhanced with this new data that they now have access to. In the social impact space, I think the biggest difference is you know, we try to understand what are the key fundamentals of blockchain, right? So the data that is gonna be found on the Ethereum blockchain or Bitcoin blockchain or whatever blockchain is gonna be used in the future is gonna be responsible for storing data that's permanent Uh, chronological and verifiable without relying on a third party. And so a lot of the things that social impact groups like UNICEF think about is how can we get this technology being used in the, the countries that UNICEF does work in, right? So we deal with countries that may not have internet connectivity. We deal with people that may not have cell phones. And so, you know, we realize that this wealth of information, data, Uh, is available on a blockchain, so we think of ways to enable people to eventually interact with that. I'd say that's the key difference. But I think both social impact and enterprise uh, perspective on the technology itself is, here's this platform where I can securely share data, and whether it's money or land titles or anything else, um, I think we are all aligned in some capacity or another. But I think the challenges that we we tackle are slightly different.
0: Mm-hmm. But the fundamental like um, value that blockchain brings again is like um, improving accountability, improving transparency, and things like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So, you know, to kind of dive down uh, a bit deeper into like UNICEF's perspective specifically, uh, I think we we looked at the technology and we found that uh, it's a technology that you know, like you said, allows people to be transparent, um, can improve certain efficiencies. And ultimately, these two tools can be used to hold public institutions accountable. And so, you know, a lot of people donate to social impact causes, and then they don't know what happens with their money. So an easy use case to think about is if we donate money to an institution, can blockchain be used to track how they're spending their money? who they're sending their money to and all that kind of stuff. I think we look for ways that this technology can enable that.
0: Okay. So could you tell me a brief like outline of all the blockchain initiatives at UNICEF or is that, the, is that generally the main area that you look at?
1: No, I, I can talk a little bit more. There's actually um, three buckets that uh, I think we like to think about. And so in terms of blockchain initiatives, um, it sits within the Office of Innovation at UNICEF. Um, the Office of Innovation looks at a variety of different technologies. Um, so blockchain of course. We have data science teams, we have teams that look at drones, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. And effectively, the purpose of this office is to see how these technologies can potentially be used in the work that UNICEF already conducts. Uh, and you know for, for those of you who don't know, um, UNICEF does a lot of work around child protection, social inclusion, Uh, child survival, education, gender equality. And so our team looks at these new technologies, figures out, you know, here's the absolute fundamentals of these technologies. And then we try to broadcast that to the offices around the world that UNICEF um, has so that they can then take those principles and see if they can improve, um, you know, the way that they do their work. And so the three things that our blockchain team has set up so that we can do that uh, we have the Venture Fund uh, and Crypto Fund. So essentially, this is an investment vehicle of some kind that is able to uh, provide funding to projects around the world that are looking to um, do things with emerging tech. We have a learning and advocacy stream as well. Um, so, you know, taking the fundamentals of blockchain or um, and then sharing that with our UNICEF country offices around the world. And then we also have... Uh, a lot of work around specific country offices coming to us and saying, "Hey, you know, we understand what blockchain is, and now we want to do something with it." And so they'll launch large projects to to take, you know, the technology and implement it in their day to day or programmatic work. Um, and if I were to go a bit deeper, so the the vent- venture fund slash crypto fund stream, um, essentially, it's a, an investment vehicle where Startups or projects around the world are working with emerging tech and building open source technology um, using uh, emerging tech like blockchain. And so, recently, we had a startup uh, graduate from this venture fund portfolio. And what they saw was Bitcoin, for example, was able to reduce or eliminate double spending of digital currency using blockchain. And so, we had a startup go through our fund called Prescripto. And what they did was they took prescriptions and they reduced a double spending problem around uh, people redeeming more than one uh, prescription at a time. And so that was like one big thing that came out. Uh, we do have other startups as well, which I can dive into in just a sec. Uh, for a learning and advocacy perspective, we have something called the atrium. And the atrium, you can think of it as a greenhouse or of some kind where un agencies from around um the world you know we understand that they're all exploring blockchain learning blockchain and implementing blockchain in different ways uh and given that we are you know all a part of this broader un ecosystem uh the atrium exists to consolidate a lot of that learning so if a world food program is using blockchain for supply chains um can UNICEF learn from that? And initially it was very difficult to have those types of conversations. And so we have something like the Atrium, which allows UN agencies to share uh, their learnings. Uh, if they have articles or learning resources that they found particularly useful, uh, that platform is in place to share that kind of data. Um, the final bit around country offices. Um, so the country offices, you know, once we kind of help them understand or maybe they've understood on their own, Uh, what blockchain can be used for. Oftentimes, they also come to us uh, for funding from the Venture Fund uh, or technical guidance to say like, okay, we think blockchain can be applied to this type of work that we're currently doing. Uh, And then they'll actually uh, work with us to scope out a project that takes a few months to build out. Uh, So UNICEF Kazakhstan recently finished a project called Digicus. And what they wanted to do is be accountable to their donors for the projects that they were funding and so if there was a project that they were running they would digitize the milestones um, and have them available on a public blockchain platform and then as the vendor was completing different parts of the milestones um, unicef kazakhstan would do the payments or simulate the payments through this public blockchain as well and so if someone was interested they can go into this platform and query how Kazakhstan was, um, I guess, spending their resources. Uh, and so these are the big kind of categories that I would say we have within our Office of Innovations blockchain team.
0: Just based on the setting in which UNICEF operates and the country offices operates, what what is the biggest challenge about implementing a blockchain-based project?
1: So I think there is a... So UNICEF actually has... Um, some guidelines to, you know, as we build out products, um, what kind of things we should keep in mind. Uh, And these guidelines are also referred to as principles of digital development. And so a lot of the things under those uh, principles include designing with the user, understanding the ecosystem, uh, designing for scale and sustainability. And so, you know, we have this broad list of things that we want to have in place while we're building out solutions. And so, I think one thing that's challenging is um, everyone is trying to do something different, but the same. And so, you know, when country A approaches you, their ecosystem is set up in one way, another country comes in and they're, you know, proposing something slightly different. Um, so I think just making sure that the thing that we build is scalable is, is important because say the project in Kazakhstan goes really well, uh, we would eventually want to carry that out to all UNICEF country offices, right? And so when we design things and build things, we want to make sure that we can do it in a way that's scalable and sustainable. Um, I'd say, so that's stuff that we build out internally. I think when we're building for the end users that are actually, you know, on the ground in in the program countries, I think a lot of the times it's hard to understand the ecosystem that they're a part of. Um, Are they... Do they have constant internet connections? Do they have a mobile device that they can use to connect to the internet? Uh, What's their literacy levels? And so there's things like that, that it's hard to foresee or understand um, because, you know, sure, you know what the top 10 blockchain use cases are, but uh, I think to extend the level of thinking to now see how those top 10 use cases can be applicable on the ground with people that have never interacted with blockchain, uh, I think there's a lot of challenges there. And so... You know, UNICEF plays a great role and, you know, we have offices around the world. Uh, we're able to, you know, be, in, be with the end user and figure out exactly what they're looking for. Uh, but it is quite resource intensive to figure out exactly what they need.
0: So does this mean that a big part of your work at the Innovation Lab would also be education of blockchain technology to so the end user as well? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So we have this initiative called Surge. Uh, S U R G E. And what we try to do is um, share our learnings of what blockchain is. And so um, last year, for example, we went to a few places. I think we went to Thailand, year before we went to Mexico. And we did learning events where um, our team and surrounding partners in that ecosystem uh, or that region. When we would do like learning events for the days, like here's blockchain, here's some use cases, here's some companies that are using blockchain in your ecosystem. And then we would issue um, coding challenges or design challenges to have them try to implement a solution for problems that they're facing in their local region. And so that's us trying to you know, explain what the technology can be used for, but then allowing them to come up with their own solutions for you know, the regions that they're local to. Um, And so Surge has allowed us to kind of streamline that process a little bit where, you know, we know what the fundamentals are, what the gaps are in terms of, you know, taking someone from no blockchain knowledge to enough to understand what it can be used for. And then we let them, you know, um, propose solutions
0: for that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, So maybe let's talk a little bit more about the venture fund and the crypto fund. So you mentioned one project just now um, that was using it to trace prescriptions. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the other projects?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So let me let me start off by just giving a little bit more context uh, about the venture fund. And so it was actually the first uh, investment fund of its kind within the United Nations ecosystem. And UNICEF set it up so that you know, we knew that people were looking at these new technologies, but they weren't sure how to get involved with them. And so then this vehicle was put in place. Um, the groups that we uh, work with, essentially, we make n- non-equity investments into them of uh, up to 100K. And what these programs or companies do are they build open source technology. So they join our cohort, they'll build something out that can potentially be used in um, across the UN agencies or UN ecosystem at some point. The other thing is these groups that uh, receive investments also operate in UNICEF program countries around the world. I think in December, 2018, uh, we brought in our first blockchain cohort. And so we have six that just graduated, uh, I'd say it was this month. We have ATX Labs. Uh, So Atix Labs is from Argentina and they're they created an investment platform on blockchain for small to medium businesses. And so um, similar to what UNICEF Kazakhstan did, uh, they have this solution in place where you can upload a project, split it up into a number of milestones, and then based on um, how the project is going, so as milestones get completed, they'll release a certain set of funding. Um, and so they're, they're working on scaling that platform now. Um, There is Utopixar. Utopixar is a company that's based in Tunisia, and they built a community collaboration platform where uh, different projects can come on, uh, they can offer services, and the other people on the platform can exchange um, digital currencies for the services that are being provided. And so they've done a lot of work on the ground, building, I guess, the ecosystem that is required for community, community collaboration to take place there is W3 Engineers. Um, What they're doing is they've set up a mobile connectivity platform in refugee camps in Bangladesh so that uh, people that are there can send each other messages. um, And if they need access to data uh, so that they can search things on the internet and stuff, um, they have a way to buy and sell data through the platform that they created um, using blockchain as well. And so they're based in Bangladesh. There is OS City, which is based in Mexico. Um, and what they've done is they've created a very robust tool to issue certificates on blockchain for governments to validate various services. And so they've done a lot of work across Latin America where uh, a government's like, hey, we want to validate business licenses or um, issue some kind of education certificate. And... Um, OS City has done work with the governments to figure out what exactly the user experience needs to be for that to be in place. Uh, We also have StatWig. And so StatWig is a company based out of India. And what they wanted to do is provide more transparency to the vaccine supply chain. And so as vaccines move from producer to supplier to manufacturer, etc., they're tracking uh, parts of that on a solution called StatWig and it's built on a
0: multi-chain blockchain. So both of these products are already like live?
1: So I'd say like most of them are either in a pilot phase or they're actually uh, in production.
0: And when these uh, startups are trying to move to production, do you find that um, the challenges that they face are similar to the kinds of t- challenges that uh, you mentioned? They talk about how your country offices are trying to bring in a
1: uh, blockchain-based project? Yeah, I would say it's fairly similar. I think um, what the Venture Fund allows for these groups to do as well is to, you know, for the first half, maybe they'll, they'll build out a solution, um, then they'll start validating that solution with some user interviews and testing, and then towards the latter half of that uh, journey, they'll start doing work on the ground and they'll start testing it with uh, various UNICEF country offices or um, other ecosystem partners. And then they start getting a lot of feedback during that time. And so then they're able to quickly iterate based on what users are saying. And I think um, the work that we do at UNICEF also follows a similar process where you know we'll spend a few months building something, and then very quickly we want to deploy it uh, wherever we want to deploy it so that we can start getting feedback and actually catering to what the end user is looking for. Um, and so so that's one perspective. I think a lot of the challenges around connectivity, um, making sure they have the appropriate devices um, definitely comes up as well. Um, so I'd say the problems and solutions are very similar. You know, to kind of build on that, these are projects that are exploring blockchain in regions that, you know, are all over the world. And so we're learning very quickly with them as well, because... These are people that are local to their region and there's like an intent on seeing what blockchain can do for their region and so at the end of the the program we get to see like okay you know india is using blockchain for vaccines because that's where they see the most i guess demand for example for the blockchain tech um mexico is you know trying to track how prescriptions are being used because there was a large issue around double spending prescriptions and so UNICEF at large can now gather insights from all these companies um, with the investments that we make into them.
0: So I'd, I'd like to ask a little bit more um, about how, I guess, how different these um, solutions are designed just because the end user is, I guess, digitally literate or less blockchain literate. So like I think maybe if you could give an example of how it would be different designing a blockchain based platform or product for an end user that was in the enterprise versus one versus a product that will have an end user from more remote communities, like how, how would they be designed differently to address the challenges that you mentioned before in terms of like infrastructure, connectivity?
1: So I would say the biggest thing that I saw, um, you know, at UNICEF versus um, my previous um, job at Deloitte was enterprises would try to show the user that, oh, this is using blockchain. Right, And so they'll, they'll throw in transaction IDs, they'll throw in blockchain wallets. And, you know, and if you think about how those look, it's just a bunch of random numbers that show up on a screen. And then they'll have some kind of pop-up on top of it to explain to the user what that is. Now, when we have these startups and maybe even some of the work that UNICEF does, uh, when we're building solutions, the end user does not care if it's on blockchain or not. What they care about is the solution works on on their device, right? So I think at the end of the day, if we can create a user experience where, um, you know, if the purpose is to redeem a prescription, um, that flow can happen without explaining what blockchain is and how it's playing a role in this scenario. And so I'd say that was probably the biggest thing. And maybe the enterprise space is also moving towards this where you know they're they're gonna understand that the end user does not care if it's blockchain or not. They just care if it works. Uh, but I think that was heavily emphasized in in some of the work that our startups did because you know they're just trying to solve a problem very quickly, so they don't need to explain what blockchain is to to their end user.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I I really you you mentioned how how the biggest challenge or the, the yeah the biggest challenge that a lot of these startups have to work on is making blockchain technology mm-hmm. as user friendly as possible. And especially since um like UX is such a still such a big issue within like the entire like crypto blockchain space. Maybe there is a lot to learn with from like a lot of these projects.
1: Absolutely. And you know our our design team actually went through a lot of learning this year too and it was it was great to see them go from, oh, I need to explain what hashes are and, and blockchain wallets are to becoming agnostic of that and focusing again on the user experience. Because I'd say like majority of people don't need to know what blockchain is. They just need to make sure that the product works, right? And so engineers, designers, et cetera, I think the if they understand that you know, blockchain can be used in this regard and, and and the regard is data can be managed on a blockchain, um, then the user experience can be agnostic of explaining what blockchain does
0: I think that's really cool the fact that like, the, the companies and the projects that you guys are working with are designing blockchain based solutions for like what I would consider a very very underrepresented communities not just within the blockchain space but in yeah. general
1: and that's kind of a, the main purpose behind yeah, the venture fund really cool. and you know there's there one thing that I want to mention so we did have our blockchain cohort just graduate And so in the coming, I think, weeks or maybe like one or two months, uh, we're going to start another call for applications for another group of blockchain startups. And so uh, stay tuned for that on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn because our team is fairly active on that. But um, as this group graduates, we're getting ready to onboard another group of uh, blockchain companies that are focused on delivering work in program countries and building open source technology.
0: Yeah, and that, that definitely sounds like there could be a lot of synergies between all your participating projects like current, future, and past.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's exciting to see it because what's happening over time is that as more and more startups go through the venture fund, we're getting more and more um, open source projects that um, you know we have at our disposal. And so um, another initiative that we have at UNICEF at large is something called GIGA. And so GIGA's whole goal is to get schools around the world connected to the internet. And so, you know, phases of that include mapping all the schools uh, financing that need to get school schools, the infrastructure that they need to get internet up um, and then eventually getting those schools connected. And then once the schools are connected um, the idea is a lot of the open source technologies that we're building uh, will be publicly available. And so then if the students or the people in that region that you know, now have access to internet are looking for different ways to solve problems, they'll have access to a lot of the open source tech that is being procured through the venture fund.
0: Cool. And I think that's, that's also like fantastic to hear that UNICEF is playing such an active role within like the public blockchain space just being able to increase like improve inclusion or enhance Absolutely. like inclusion within the crypto space. And yeah, you guys have, like a lot around like you guys are you guys are pretty active in like even like a lot of the events, like hackathons.
1: Yeah. Um so yeah we have a we have a team of developers and we're always looking for new ways to solve problems. There's also a ton of projects coming out um every week almost feels like and so, you know, one of the ways that we try to keep track of everything is we attend conferences and hackathons and listen to talks just so that, you know, we're not completely lost <laughs> in the blockchain space, just given that it evolves so quickly. Uh, another way that we're trying to engage, I guess, the public blockchain um, ecosystem is um, similar to the Venture Fund. Uh, last October, we actually launched something called the Crypto Fund as well, which is Ultimately will behave very similar to the venture fund, but instead of giving funding in fiat currency like the US dollar, um, the venture fund, uh, sorry, the crypto fund is going to give funding in Bitcoin and Ether, at least to start. And so um, when we did launch it last uh, October at DEF CON, to kick it off, we looked at some of our blockchain cohort startups and they identified, you know, if we did get some crypto, here's how we would spend it. And so um, we gave them, I think, Prescripto got one Bitcoin and then uto Pixar and ATX Labs got 50 Ether each. And their six-month, um, I guess, work plan for that crypto is wrapping up soon. So it'll be interesting to see how they use crypto to you know, further their platform development. And the other cool thing about the crypto fund is, yes, it behaves very similar to the venture fund, but... When they receive the crypto, the first time they spend that crypto, whether it's to pay an employee or pay for a set of services, it also has to be in crypto. And so, you know, we're trying to test out if um, crypto can, you know, provide the accountability and transparency um, through that kind of mechanism as well.
0: So, do, so I mean, I could imagine them facing challenges with that, like um, you mentioned- yeah, like paying your employees and play, paying paying your suppliers like that would be very dependent on the scenario where like everyone you're working with is, is using crypto.
1: Yeah. And so what, what we try to do before we actually release funding is we try to get a work plan from each of these groups so that they can identify like, here's who you want to give the money to and we validate validated with this person that they're willing to accept crypto as payment. And so, yeah, we do do some diligence before, um, and that's. But it's kind of like okay, we we want to give you crypto, tell us how you're going to spend it. Do you guys have certain things in place to um, account for people that may not want to accept crypto for their services?
0: I'm just trying to think like if that that would pose a challenge in communities that aren't very digital or crypto ready, I guess especially because you're talking you you you've mentioned that a lot of projects work around like precisely these communities.
1: So this is going to be like a, a process that will take you know some time it could be months it could be years but you know one avenue that we're thinking of is um, as we give crypto to more and more companies um, they have to start building out the systems to accept and spend crypto as an organization that first jump that they also have to take um, you know whoever they send it to they'll they'll also be setting up um, some kind of mechanism to accept and spend crypto and so. You know, if UNICEF needs to play a role where we help people get onboarded with crypto, that's something that, you know, we'd love to do. And, you know, in a year or two, if the crypto fund continues to do this, uh, our idea or hope is that, you know, we have this large roster of groups that are able to take uh, crypto as payment. And so initially, yeah, it'll be a small group of people that accept crypto for, you know, services or payment for uh, employee salaries. But over time, we're hoping that this list grows bigger and bigger so that you know we can build up the crypto ecosystem even more. Um, and then at the same time, we're looking for projects that can enable people to access crypto quicker or faster through whatever systems they have in place right now, too. So it's multiple moving parts, and we're hoping that over time uh, it matures and becomes easier and easier to
0: use. Right, right. And I guess based on the work that you guys do, like introducing new technology, I mean, introducing them into underrepresented communities is something Mm -hmm. that the kind of work that you guys are very familiar with doing.
1: Yeah, so, so UNICEF has 130 country offices around the world. And we have operations, I think, in more than 190 countries. And so it puts us in a unique position where, you know, if countries are coming to us, and they're like, hey, we want to use blockchain like we can do that through our our company and so it's a pretty powerful place to be and so yeah like we can explain to all the offices what blockchain is we built out material to very quickly onboard you know offices or companies or projects into like how UNICEF is using blockchain and so we're trying to play pretty aggressively on the uh, advocacy and learning space so that and we can continue to grow out this ecosystem.
0: Are there is there like a good amount of regulatory environmental um, changes that you guys have to navigate through? Just because you guys are UNICEF, you know, like you have so many stakeholders involved, and especially like such a big ecosystem, a big network of uh, country officers, and then organizations that you work with governments?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we, we totally understand that the legality or the regulations around crypto is different in every country and every region. And so the the good thing is, um, if there's a UNICEF office in um, one of the countries that we work with, it's usually there because a government is looking to do work through UNICEF. And so um, they're usually registered there and, and doing business there. And so we count on them to make sure that, you know, the appropriate infrastructure is in place from a legal and regulatory perspective, maybe maybe even environmental, um, so that they can actually interact with crypto. And so instead of like HQ having to coordinate all of that, we have the offices that are in our program countries and uh, do that first so that, you know, if there are any red flags, um, they can address that before um, we have to step in from HQ.
0: Tell, I'd like to hear a little bit more about some of your less successful projects. Are there specific areas where UNICEF has experimented and found that blockchain is in fact not super suitable or viable?
1: So there there is one thing that had popped up. Uh, this was, I think, a few years before I joined, but uh, we learned so much from it. We actually wrote a paper uh, at MIT. Uh, so, our our lead, one of our leads, Chris Fabian, um, essentially he was trying to see how blockchain can fit around digital identity, right? So, when blockchain was still being explored, a lot of people were like, oh, we can capture digital identity and use some kind of blockchain to do that. And so, I think in that scenario, what ended up happening was, um, you know, we have our principles for um, digital development. And I think What they didn't do at that time was build the solution with the user in mind. And so it was like, okay, here's blockchain. I can write a smart contract. I can define what properties I want to capture on a person. And so they went down that route. And then eventually when they wanted to set up the solution in a specific region, um, they got there and they're like, wait a second, you know, There's limited internet connectivity. It's expensive to set up. The process is very complex and not easy to explain to the user group that we're with. And so a lot of the challenges around not designing with the user in mind uh, started popping up. And so, you know, I think it was a very good set of lessons that were learned uh, because now whenever we build anything now, uh, whether it's with blockchain or drones or whatever, we're always thinking, okay, who is the end user that will actually use this and make sure they're looped in right from the beginning.
0: Are there any, I guess, specific like, expectations of blockchain or crypto that UNICEF had um, initially that I guess were not met?
1: I would say it's still... So in terms of expectations or, or visions, it's tough to say. So we understand that the technology is still in its infancy. Uh, you have projects like open financial platforms coming out in the coming... Um, months or years like Celo and Libra and they're going to impact you know millions if not billions of people with what they come out with. Um, There are hackathons happening every weekend and people are coming up with new and intuitive ways to leverage smart contracts and blockchains. There are new blockchain platforms coming out as well. Um, There's other solutions that are looking to connect all these disparate blockchain solutions into one uh, like Polkadot and Cosmos and so like I think it's too early to tell. So I think we as UNICEF are still focused on here's a technology that can make things accountable, efficient and transparent. But it's got a long way to go. Uh, the user journeys and the user experiences are still not where they need to be. And, you know, we're going to be a part of that journey. So I I would say it's still early to tell, but I think the vision is still, you know, we want this to work for whoever needs it.
0: Um, I think I'd just kind of like to end off this interview with one one final question. I think especially with all, with what's happening in the world right now, you do see a lot of different, mm-hmm. I guess initiatives within the blockchain space um, that are coming up. There does seem to be this like recurring um, discussion of how this pandemic, I guess, mm-hmm. is actually accelerating the adoption of blockchain technologies. Now it's become more and more apparent that there are, there are clear problems with our with our current systems um, that blockchain really can solve like, in terms of like um, access to data, and making that data sh- mm-hmm, making mm-hmm. the sharing of data um, more seamless and more efficient, and also because it's so involved in um, promoting crypto adoption. I guess at the end of the day, what the the kind of like future you guys are envisioning is one that where crypto does play a big role in, in everybody's like immediate lives. You think needs to be involved to make this successful. Like, and when I say successful, I just mean scenario, this reality where blockchain is being leveraged extensively in day-to-day lives and also within in underrepresented communities.
1: There's been a lot of work happening at hackathons that focus on you know, pushing the tech as far as it can go. And that's cool, right? So you you have a smart contract that can do a lot of different things. You have this specific blockchain that can do something very efficiently. And all of that is great. And so I think we're still at a stage where, you know, people are trying to really understand what is the capacity of, you know, a lot of the blockchain solutions that are coming out. The thing that we need to have in place to make sure that it is successful is for people to go to the end user... And figure out the problems that they're solve, like encountering, and you know, if on one side it's like really understanding what blockchain is, mm-hmm. and then you go to the end user and you see if it's applicable to what they're encountering. I think that's the only way that we can make sure blockchain scales. So it's not over engineering a, a problem. It's not you know pushing the tech as far as it can go. I think it's understanding exactly what people need and building for that. And some of it will be on blockchain, some of it won't be, uh, but I think that's effectively where we need to go. We need to think about the end user, think about you know what kind of things they have in place, and then make it very seamless in how they interact with whatever blockchain solution they need to interact with so that they can get basic services um, delivered to them.
0: So basically what you're saying is less over less over engineering and more including involving the user in the process, almost like a product market fit type thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think they have very valuable feedback. Um, you know, one of our principles of design is understanding the ecosystem. You know, so what is the day-to-day of a person? Um, how often are they going to a bank? How often are they going shopping? How often mm-hmm. are they being blocked from certain services? I think understanding that and and then, then building a product around that is very important. Um, and I think, you know, Design principles around like user testing and validating the things that you're building with the people that are actually going to be using it is is important as opposed to you know building something very quickly and seeing it work in one area. It doesn't imply that it's going to work in another area. And so I think the end user becomes very valuable. Uh, getting that global context for people in different areas is very very important as well. Uh, and over time, you know, once people figure out the design challenges of getting people using platforms, then it'll kind of force the technology to evolve as well. Um, So I think it has to be user first for the technology to survive or grow or scale or whatever it is.
0: That was very, very nicely put. Um, All right. So I think that is all on my end. I just want to say, thank you, Miran, for taking the time out to I guess um, educate me um, more more on what UNICEF is working on and what how how truly blockchain can be used for social impact and I am and I am truly looking forward to like hearing more updates about all your, the projects under the venture fund and under the crypto fund as well
1: yeah absolutely thank you Ashley for having me it was it's always great to take a step back from your laptop, your hours of coding or whatever it is, and think about the work that you know, is actually coming out of your team and how it impacts um, a lot of the work that we do. So it's great to chat with you and, and think in that capacity for a bit.